Wouldn't it be amazing if we could read the minds of paralyzed patients? And believe it or not, technology is beginning to help us do that. Hello, my name is Wallace Smith, and welcome to another Tomorrow's World webcast. And this is some of the most exciting news. It's nice to say something positive uh, that we're learning in the world. I actually saw this news in a, a few different outlets, but I'm going to read you from Technology Review. Uh, Technology Review reported January 31st, 2017, an article by this title, Reached via a mind-reading device, deeply paralyzed patients say they want to live. Again, this is from Technology Review. The subtitle underneath here says, A brain-computer interface records yes and no answers in patients who lack any voluntary muscle movement. It really is amazing when you read the details. I'll just read you a few selections. Uh, it starts off talking about, in 1995, Jean-Dominique Bobby suffered a massive stroke that left him paralyzed and speechless with only the ability to blink his left eyelid. That's the only thing he could do was blink his left eyelid. Using just that eye, he silently dictated his memoir, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, later adapted into a film. You may actually be familiar with the film or the book. It continues, Bobby suffered from locked in syndrome, in which patients are completely paralyzed except for some eye movement. Some patients eventually lose even the ability to blink, cutting off all contact with the world and raising questions of whether they are still fully conscious, and if so, whether they still wish to live. In other words, you have patients with this locked-in syndrome that Eventually, if they lose even the movement of their eyes, they cannot communicate with the outside world. They're not necessarily in a coma. They may be completely conscious and thinking, but they can't communicate with anyone. They can't move a single voluntary muscle at all. And so it's agonizing for families who have individuals in this state because they don't know what they're thinking. They don't know if they hurt. They don't know if they need. They don't know if they're sad. They don't know if they're happy. And this is a marvelous advance. Uh, they've developed a computer brain interface, essentially analyzing a blood flow, et cetera, in the brain uh, that they can use to get some kind of level of communication. Uh, so they, they adapted this equipment, would put it on these patients' brains. They had at least four test subjects. And then... Let me continue down the article. It says, in response to the statement, I love to live, three of the four replied yes. They also said yes when asked, are you happy? So that's three of the four. Now there was a fourth patient. It says the fourth patient, a 23-year-old woman, wasn't asked close-ended questions because her parents feared she was in a fragile emotional state. So actually, though three of the four answered these questions, the fourth patient wasn't asked such questions because the parents were really concerned that she was in such a state that it was fragile emotionally. But these other three answered, yes, I love to live, and yes, I'm happy. Uh, this is, I want to give credit to the designer. This is designed by neuroscientist Niels Burbaumer. I may be saying his name wrong, I hope not. Now at the Weiss Center for Bio and Neuroengineering in Geneva. Uh, they established this, uh, some patterns, et cetera, by spending 10 days asking the pac patients certain questions, like uh, you were born in Berlin or Paris is the capital of Germany. And they established a baseline to really determine whether or not they're actually getting answers from the patient. 
and they found that the answers relayed through this system were accurate 70% of the time, which really, if it was only due to chance, then over those 10 days, it'd only be accurate 50% of the time, and yet they're accurate 70% of the time. So that beat chance, and they felt they could trust the responses in general that they were getting. Now, why do I bring this up? One, just really three things come to mind. One, I hope we are grateful. I, personally, I thank God, I hope that you will too, that we're finding some sort of relief for, for patients, for individuals in such terrible states, in particular for their families. I've often thought myself, what if one of my children were in a state like that? What if my wife were in a state like that? And how agonizing that would be, not knowing anything, not knowing, the, knowing rather that they could not reach out to me and tell me whether they feel good or whether they feel bad. Uh, so I hope all of us are thankful for advances like this and appreciate that God has given us such intellects we can figure things like this out. The second thing I want to put across is don't assume. We're living in a society that tends to assume people in such states simply don't want to live anymore. And these results indicate that's a terrible assumption to make. We can't necessarily speak for these individuals. Perhaps they do, uh, and we need to keep that in mind. And thirdly, what I want to wrap this up with is to me, it reminds me that as a society, we need to have a greater respect for human life. Humans are not animals. These humans are worth this effort. Humans are made in the image of God. They're different than the animals. And we should make these kinds of efforts to reach out to those, these image bearers of God, uh, to see, to talk with them, uh, and not to write them off in a society that seems to consider lives like theirs less and less worth living. I hope this has had something for you, and I hope you'll check out everything we have available at tomorrowsworld.org.